1: To find us here, moving iron. Hello
0: and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number two seventy six. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Tractor Zoom. Tractor Zoom has access to over twenty billion dollars in heavy equipment sales data. Tractor Zoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. So I've got Andy Campbell on here from Tractor Zoom and Iron Comps, and uh, Andy is the the data guru, I guess is the best way to put it, right, Andy?
2: That's a good description. All yeah, right, on man. It.
0: So, to, so describe what you do for the for the folks over there at, at Tractor Zoom.
2: So I've got the uh, the fun job uh, at Tractor Zoom, where I get to take in all the data that we're collecting off of TractorZoom.com, uh, both auction data, deal list data, and then get to make sense of the industry, and right so on. get to distill it down and figure out what kind of value there is for. For dealers, for farm uh, credits, lenders, uh, for anybody that needs to make a decision, right on, right on.
0: And I will say this: that what what you guys are doing over there, as far as the data that's coming across and, and the information that we're seeing, is 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 really really helpful, really timely. And and, and once again, you know, like I've, I've said a million times, what your data that you're putting across there is just data. It's not been whitewashed. It's not been scrubbed. It's not been this that other thing. It's just straight data, which is. Uh, which is very important when you're looking at, especially in the situation that we're in right now where your guess is as good as mine as to what's going to happen with the next thing and, and whatever else, and, and tracking that, that auction data along the way is, is very important. So congratulations to what you guys have been doing and the success you've had. Appreciate it. Thanks. Right on. All right, man. So uh, we're going to talk about the... Uh, Obviously, we're we're in the uh, early order writing period for combines, so having that conversation right now as to what those combines are going to look like and and where the used market's at as we head into uh, new uh, they're selling the new new combines for the year and heads and those kind of things. Um, Andy has got a pretty good presentation here about what that looks like. So Andy, let's just start running through this here and see what uh, see what you got.
2: Okay, sounds good, Casey. Now I'll go through things we can have a discussion on. Uh, points that we want to last longer on, and then if something else is kind of clear and cut, we can move right on. But I mentioned already that we get our data from tractorzoom.com just so everybody knows that you know this is what auctioneers or are actually selling true equipment for, uh, and the data is live, it's recent, uh, or it's current dealer listings. And so we're trying to get true, transparent market data. Uh, but then we'll move on to the market trends. Casey and I were just chatting a little bit about what people are searching for and then really trying to gauge and put our thumb on this combine uh, market. We do things for row crop tractors too, and everything. But we're just going to focus harvest today, and then uh, then we'll dive in a little bit more specifically into combines, a little bit of headers, and talk about where's the supply going, what values are trending, um, and then we get to pull out the match gate ball, uh, try to figure out, you know, what's ahead in this whole market. So uh, we can dive in right now. You know, tractorsum.com, but like Casey mentioned. The speedsironcomps.com. Uh, and that's what a lot of our partners use. Uh, a lot of dealers across the country, farm credits, egg lenders, uh, government agencies, essentially to help them formulate data uh, and formulate valuations. But the big question, you know, from the discussion, Casey and I today, I love uh, being on Twitter, probably too much uh, for my productivity, <laughs> but it is an interesting discussion that's been floating around uh, when, uh, when this thing's going to flip. Uh, and so that's really, you know, that's on my mind. I know it's on a lot of dealers' mind. about, you know, can we, if not predict, when this is what this Casey mentioned, I like, don't know. But if you can have your thumb on the market and be one of the first people to know, that's that's where I'd like to be. Yep, so, for sure. Good. Good. That's, that's kind of the goal of what I'd like to come out of uh, the discussion today. And then so I can pick Casey's mind for free. Yeah. Um, but also one thing, and this is just a plug from us uh, at Iron Comps, that last year, we had the pleasure of going to Moving Iron Summit. So any dealer that's out there, any brand, any color that's thinking about special development, we went to Moving Iron Summit down in Nashville last year and it was phenomenal uh, from us, but from a, just a um, thought leadership standpoint and working with peers. So here's our plug. If you're not going to Moving Iron Summit and you've got that first week of September free. I head down there, you can QR code this in the corner and it takes you to a, a landing page and we can help you navigate the rest. But just our plug, Casey, for what you guys are doing. That's uh, pretty incredible.
0: No, I appreciate that, man. It's a good time. So anybody that's interested in doing that, great way to network and, and obviously find out all the latest trends that you see happening here from the folks at Zoom.
2: Cool. Okay, so yeah, let's dive into the overall market trends. Um, now, one of the things that we get the, the pleasure doing and all of our dealer listing partners as well, you can see search volume, just like you go to you know, Google trends or whatever and see what people are searching up on Google. You can do that on trackers too. And Casey, again, I'm not on the dealer side. I grew up on a farm, but but my you know, folks didn't run a dealership. So I was curious if this, um, this line, I think I got a little red line over there. Is that an anomaly this year that you see that where Early April, people shift from thinking about I want to buy a big tractor to I'm starting to look for combines. Or is this more of this year, where because it's this year, people are searching for combines?
0: Yeah, typically you see that you see a, a shift in mentality uh, in combine sales in that April time frame. April, um, and then you know because typical, uh, wheat harvest and those kind of things start you know May through about August, right? And then you got you know that that kind of Time frame there where, depending on where you're at in the country, different things are happening. But yeah, comments they'll start to kind of peak, start to pick up in that, in that time frame, and they kind of go from there through the end of the year. Yep.
2: Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's good to see you then. And yeah, and so from a proportion, if anybody is curious, uh, and I just have this parsed out to be essentially your high-value items with planters, uh, anything bigger than 175 horsepower tractors, combines, platform headers, uh, and sprayers, um, combines being in this green section now, they're about 30% of that search volume here throughout the summer. So, if anybody's ever curious on you know, between those, how many people are searching for combines, um, that's what we've been seeing kind of consistently throughout these summer months. Okay, so now the big question one of the two big questions besides price is supply. You know, we're in the midst of August already, and so I think I pulled some of these numbers in scrap right as soon as we're entering August. But I'm trying to gauge how many combines are we going to see available uh, this August. And you know, real quick, Casey, you can kind of tell me if you think these percentages are on or off. Uh, You've got between January and July, about 42% uh, of auction combines are sold. And everything here less than 1,500 step hours. Um, Does that seem about right for what you see every year?
0: 42% are sold in that time frame
2: yeah saying? of the yeah of what moves in the year is kind of sold between January and July Yeah
0: I would say that's probably here because you have a bigger volume that last three months of the year you know, September October November December I guess that's four months but but yeah that's that that last quarter of the year is, is when you see the biggest bulk of machinery sold Yep. okay and,
2: and again yeah I know that your first spring months are not huge on combine sales, but using what we've seen essentially sell through January through July, so far this year, and using that 42% as kind of a regulator, um, it about equates to 130 combines that we're gonna see uh, for sale in August, in August uh, above 50 k So it's something I'd consider just kind of a, a baseline There's a quality combine. But that's down, I think about 14% from last year. And it's down maybe maybe about roughly 80% in two years ago. Now, I know we've had a few sales already in August. I haven't calculated those into this yet. But, you know, Casey, last August is when we started to see things tighten up on the uh, the combine supply. You guys anticipating even tighter supplies going forward this year, even knowing that last year was tight? <clears throat> I,
0: I do. At the same time, I mean, it. <laughs> it's so hard to answer that question because the, the reason I I think it's hard to answer that question is if things show up when they're supposed to show up we're going to have we're going to have a, a lot of combines the last quarter of the year. That being said the bulk of those combines that if they show up a lot of those first second generation trades are sold, you know, so we will mm-hmm. have some some to go but I don't <clears throat> the late model low hour stuff we probably won't have too incredibly large supply of, but that, you know, that third third combine, you know, that, that that second late second kind of combine as far as the trade cycle goes, we'll have some of those out there in that, that you know that seven fifty to a 1, 1500 range. I think we'll have some of those.
2: Okay. And you know, that kind of leads into a little bit of my second question. And then I was having this case I mentioned it right before we started having a question with a couple farmers in our area about where are all these things? because uh, we know there's a tight of supply and and I know it's not coming off the line as fast as maybe what they've done before. Uh, although I drove by drove by Moline on our way out to where we're standing right now, and, and it seemed like I was passing like an X nine every right. uh, three or four miles. Yeah, right. So I, I swear they're coming out there fast. But uh, you know, I know more farms are holding more continents. Uh mm-hmm. We've done an analysis in the past, and I know there's some more on each farm, on average. Um, but you know, other thoughts or ideas on where. Some of these extra
0: combines might be. You know, I I, th- I think I think a lot of farm to farm sales have been taking place, so that those those never get registered, they never get advertised, and never get there's no you know reports of any kind that that show what's been sold, what hasn't been sold. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you probably would go back and look at some UCC data, and you could probably. Kind of fill your way through that a little bit As to what got sold where and who sold what Um, But I think a lot of the stuff that we're seeing right now On the farm, why there's so much Of it that's being sold farm to farm that um, It just looks like there's not Been that much stuff to buy in the market But there's been a fair amount of transactions Taking place across across The spectrum. Now all that being said Some of the stuff too is um, Not everything is getting put on the internet right away um as like this this is you know this is for sale um some of that stuff is you know you call in a lot of stuff you can and it'll say hey you know what it's for sale now but you can't have it till you know april of next year december okay. whenever you can have it you know so i think there's some of that too where some of that stuff might not just be getting listed yet and and, and some of that stuff might be pre-sold too and that, that's the other side of it too is you're not going to advertise something you already have sold to another somebody else down the line too. So there's a lot of that going on too. So I think mm-hmm. not seeing that stuff um, on the on the out there in the marketplace just shows that there's a you know a, a secondary marketplace right now that we're seeing that just isn't that's not visible to the just to the to the common person out there. Cause there's not there's nothing tracking and there's no reporting of what's going on um, you know from the farm to farm thing and the pre sold stuff too. So
2: mm-hmm. oh that's. Great but I know, you know, guilty on that one. Not on the combine side, but we bought our planter uh, just this past year off market, just because we no. knew it was, you know, farmer down the road is going to no. sell it, and because times are tight, uh, you know, I don't know if we would have done it in the past, but I think we're just so scared they might not get one, get sure. what you wanted. And Absolutely, did that. Yep. So that's a good perspective. Um, I had this one to go in a little bit in the external markets, but I kind of want to skip that for now and get on it a little bit later. Uh, but anyways, with combine trends, and I alluded to this a little bit earlier, Casey was talking to me uh, before we started to about, you know, a lot of it's going to be about combines, roll-up tractors, four-wheel drives. And so this is something that we've been doing now, and for over, over half a year, we started in January, putting together an index on the combine market, and without going into too many details, it's essentially baselined off the of 2018 to 2020 data on what is an average sale, and then we through regression, just figure out, okay, how many, you know, how much is an hour worth? How much is a year worth of usage? And, sure. you know, all these other factors on complex. And so try to normalize it. And it helps just because you have a ton of data that flows into through Tracker and so you can do that. Um, and so anyways, this June, this July, curve strong. It May took a bit of a dip. And so you got a bit of a seasonality dip there. I don't think it's more than that. But the uh, you know, even though the commodity market's now I'll flip to Show some people this. This I, I mapped it right alongside corn. Your index is on the left. Your, your corn prices there. average monthly corn prices on the right. Uh, it trends pretty well with some seasonality taken into account there. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, Casey was saying, you know, watch for those multiple months where this thing starts to turn. Uh, but we're not there. I mean, it's no, you know, no, it is just as strong as it has yeah. been. When you think it can't go up anymore. Yeah. You see some new sales and you're like, my God. I, I can't believe
0: they paid that for that, but it's, yep. it's going up. Yep, and I think to your point here, I mean, this is I talk about the canary in the coal mine all the time, and and you know how auction data is that is that canary, right? So, if you know if you're looking at these kind of things and you start to see these things drop off, to me, I don't really see a a drop off in, in the market for um, at, at a minimum twelve months for sure. I mean. The long 18 months from now, 12 to 18 months, something like that, going into 24, midway through 24, something like that, where I think it's when you finally start having that supply catch up with demand and you start, you know, you look out the window of the dealership and you've got, you know, three or four row crop tractors sitting out there that you don't know who you're going to sell them to and you've got a Baylor or two sitting out there and you've got a combine or two sitting out there that you don't you don't you know you're just waiting for someone to come by and take a look at it, or you're you're actively quoting that to several people but you don't have any active takers you're trying to create that so that to me is when you start seeing that that real slide in the marketplace right and i think mm-hmm. you know looking at at this kind of data that you guys put out this 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 index that you have here is is really going to be a a very handy tool to have at your disposal because I'm be honest with you we start seeing that thing slide the price of corn might stay up but just as the overall supply starts to kind of kind of go back into a a more quote unquote normal phase you're going to mm-hmm. you're going to see something there and I think this is going to be a very important
2: very important yeah. tool yeah that's a good point that it's you know it does follow the corn price a little bit because it's a bit more you know there the prices right now are both supply and demand driven Sure. Uh, it's not one or the other. And so the demand can stay there. And corn prices stay high and bean prices stay high. But uh yeah, it's it's factor and so that's what you know a reason why we're watching it every month doing this. Yep. Okay. And you know I, I get into good Twitter battles, uh quote unquote like procrastination. But uh you know, a lot on, you know, is it is this a beer problem? You know, is it case, is it New Holland, you know, who who's got the issues right here. And I showed this in a recent webinar. So just kind of, you know, look at this kind of with glazed eyes for a second. So you get the general shape. The bar graphs are average price per month since 2020 of combines, you know, all sold for 50K and above. The line graph is separator hours. And I always like to look at the two in combination just so you can tell, you know, like here in 2021 in May, it looks like the price bottomed out, but probably cause it's May and you only sold a few combines. And they happen to be super high SEP hours, so that's why the price is low. Um, so it's always gauging. But just look at the general shape. Oh, the wrong button, I instead of order. No, do it. uh, anyways, um, it's the essentially John Deere case and New Holland, they they have the same shape. And so, you know, except for you know uh, sale that was on the extremes, they're all following this general pattern. Um, and so that's kind of my comeback to them is you can look at the data within Zoom, and you follow it and they're all following the same trend here. Gotcha. Okay. But anyways, so now talking a little bit about trends and, and what's uh, the most recent, you know, we have the data that comes in. So anything that was sold last week, we have the data up on iron counts now. And that's one thing I wanted to show you here. This graph right here, every single dot is a combine that sold uh, within the past four years, I believe. So you got just a mess of dots, but you can kind of see the general pattern that all combines have been sold for SEP hours across the X-axis and you've got your price that they sold for on the Y-axis there. And I added in here, July 6, July, just this last July. Uh, and you got You know a pattern that fits in it it's not all above so you're not talking out of this world type of prices but you've got some you know ones on the fringes that are pushing the the price barrier up in here and so i'm gonna let casey give his his analysis on this because he and i were talking about this beforehand and he had a great uh, idea of what's going on here i was talking to a a farmer earlier and showed him the same graph, and he seemed to think that down here you've got uh, some farmers who they're forward focused they're like I'll pay anything for the combine that I want, and they're willing to really push down below, pay top dollar for some of these low hour machines. Probably also because they can't get a brand new machine, and they might want one. They might have been your, you know, your buyers of a new machine. Uh, but then once you get up here into the 2K plus and your set hours, your I don't know what they would be your third or fourth wash cycle uh... buyers, and they're not willing necessarily push the envelope with these type of machines uh, down there. But anyways, Casey, do you want to describe a little bit about what your perspective was when I showed you this graph?
0: Yeah, so when I was looking at this, I, th- I thought, <clears throat> if you look in between uh, the, the 1K and the 2K, kind of right in the middle, there's two dots there that are kind of, one's higher than the other. There's a <clears throat> there's a line that runs between them, but there's two little dots that kind of run that are that a pretty distinct line, and I think if you drew a diagonal line between those, and you counted the number of dots on the left side versus the number of dots on the right side. Obviously, the right side is going to have more dots because you can clearly see that. But to me, I think that's the the uh, the one thousand hour machine to the you know the two thousand hour machine that we're seeing out there. A lot of those machines got traded in on some of these you know more late model low hour machines that we see coming in. And to me, that that 2012, 13, and fourteen model combine, which is going to be making up the overwhelming bulk of that 2,000 to 4,000 um, hour machine. Um, those machines are, for lack of a better term, been very much commoditized. And they're just, they're they're there, they're worth what they're worth. People are paying what they're paying for them and it is what it is, right? I think on the left side of that line, those are more of the machines that people are are looking at from a value perspective, um, whether it's a technology or the hours or whatever it is that they're doing. they be coming from, you know a, a, a 680 to a 780 they might be moving from a, a 780 or 6 i'm sorry 670 up to a you know a, a, a 780 so they're jumping a whole, getting newer and bigger so i just think looking at that when i see that i see that these are more guys that are looking at the value of a specific machine and that they see a perceived value in what they're buying whereas the other side of that is not that they don't see a perceived value in what they're buying because there could be some on here that traded a three thousand hour machine for a fifteen hundred hour machine, right? Mm-hmm. But they, but I just feel like because if you see how close those dots are, those red dots from two thousand to four thousand, how it, how clustered those are, that's a good yeah. indicator that that those machines are there's a perceived value for those machines, right? There's a, mm. a hard and fast value that's out there, and I think that's what you're seeing. Why you're seeing some of these these bigger bigger cu- cluster points
2: in in the in the middle there, mm. yeah. I'm gonna to have to make a note. We mentioned that you're right that the variability just increases drastically as you get down here, and that would be an interesting graph for me to pull sometime too. You know, in these different cycles of machines or you know, zero to 500, 500 to 1,000, just watch that variability change. Uh, that people are willing to pay, and you're right, probably has a lot more to do with the personality of a farmer and their philosophy in farming uh, and how that changes uh, and the type of buyer there. Okay, and then, you know, the supply is something that um, we chatted about a little bit earlier, and, and this is probably no surprise to anybody uh, watching this or listening to this, that we've seen, you know, in Q2, I've seen a 45% drop over 2021's Q2. Now it's going to start changing here a little bit as we get into Q3, like I mentioned, that we might just see a 14% drop because we've already gone an entire year now in combines of uh, short supply. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, just wanted to show this to see what we've been seeing year over year for our supply change. Uh, you know, I don't know how much more we can drop considering that last year was already lower, If we're gonna now bottom out and, um, and flatten out on this. But uh, it looks like August so far that we might still, you know, be dropping a little bit over last year. But again, I, I don't entirely know what's gonna come to sale yet. Right.
0: Now, I, I think your graph is very representative Representative of what
2: we see happening out there for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what? This is the graph. This is the fancy one that I was going to show you a little earlier uh, <laughs> with the, the price in the case, <clears throat> the Holland and John Deere. And so if you just take a look at this one, uh, the, the breakdown by color, and it really follows the same pattern that everything follows, again, um, regardless of, of color that you're after. So the, the average days listed. And this is, yep, to tell me if this um, completely breaks the computer or not. I wanted to show uh, you guys iron comps just for a second. And so, you know, within iron comps, one of the things that we'll follow are average days listed. And Casey and I we're talking about these graphs and um, what you really should pay attention to, maybe what you, you don't. Um, but anyways, within harvesting combines in john deere you can go in here and see these are all john deere combines within the database so over nine thousand of them um, but you can also look at dealer list averages too to try to figure out is the market really moving is it not uh, and you can look at a price trend as this thing goes and where the auction data falls auction data being green dots where these things were sold versus average dealer list price and so now we're looking at a pretty big swath, like everything John Deere combines. So you've got all different types of combines that are going to fall in here. Um, but one of the good things you can do too is look at your average days listed uh, and then show whether it's only show things that have sold and uh, or show everything that's on the lot. Now, in case you are mentioning that this probably inverts uh, for most types of combines, but you see that you probably have a higher supply here in November, and it works its way down to you get to August. Um, and then that might be seen here, especially once we get into specific make models. But I know it's a newer uh, feature within Iron Comp. So I wanted to show people that you can do both uh, the price trend graph and the days listed graph uh, within any make model, uh, any different category within Iron Comp. I like that let me go back
0: to that screen real quick yeah the million dollar 9670 that's pretty, that's pretty cool
2: yeah <laughs> this, this is yeah uh, it's listed no one's bought it yeah.
0: one i can't imagine why that's a, that's a deal it's a bargain
2: yeah i know <laughs> yep. must be one that they got a, an emotional attachment to it. I, I guess really so
0: yeah uh, must be on consignment <laughs> 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 that's funny
2: yeah but anyways, yeah, you can go in here and, and make model, and I won't dive into all of them now unless we have a specific question later. But okay. um, but it is a, a nice tool within there so you don't always have to export data or uh, uh, do with it what you want. Okay, so I wanted to get to headers here in just a second, make sure I leave enough time uh, to chat about it. But overall, we've seen the, the combine supply be down about 30% every year in year. And then the question is, are we going to continue to see that down another, you know, 15, 14%. Um, but getting back to the index, we tracked it in June, in July. And, and again, I, I was questioning whether or not we'd be able to keep up these high prices, and they haven't slowed down at all uh, with combines. It's uh, pretty incredible how those high values continue to persist. Okay. Now... Getting into headers here a little bit. Uh, I'm gonna buzz through this fast, but I uh, I want Casey to give his feedback here on what he sees happening with this header market. Because again, this is something that's uh, this is an enlightening to me, uh, but I track average header price. And this is corn rowhead market uh, from 2019, 2020, 2021, average price. And that price is in the light blue, the dark blue that you see on the bottom is the uh, the average number of rows. And so for anybody that's just listening to this and not actually watching it, you start, and average price starts a little less than $11,000, goes to you know just over $11,000, but then jumps in 2021 to over almost $14,000. Uh, and really the average number of rows trends with that a little bit, though. So bigger headers uh, that are out there. But then in 2021, the price stays high, but the average size of what's sold in the market seems to drop back down to what I would call normal 2020 levels, and so Casey, do you want to reiterate a little bit of what you were talking about earlier, what you saw in the market that might explain some of this?
0: <clears throat> yeah, so what what I saw happen out here. Now, this is my area. I mean, I, I can't speak to to everybody else, but you know, tracking this data, the number of machines on on on. On lots and those kind of things through various channels that we track them through, and what we've been tracking uh, for, since 2014. If you take a look at, at some of that data from you know 2021 going into 2022, there is an abnormally large amount of of corn heads sold early in the year that you wouldn't that we don't typically see happen out here, and in the the nationwide data that we track too, also reflected that as well. I don't know if there was some carryover, you know, deferred funds, those kind of things that came out of 21 to 22 that, <clears throat> you know, they were looking for a specific thing and it wasn't available. Um, at that time, early 22, um, the amount of the, the row crop tractor situation was just starting to be depleted and more and more machines were getting getting sold and, and quickly getting sold. And so it makes me think a little bit that that maybe some of that cornhead. Activity that you're seeing here um, was, you know, I can't get this machine that I want, but I do need to update a cornhead, so I'm going to go ahead and just get the cornhead now and and mm-hmm. take care of that. So I think maybe that might be some of it. Um, the other side of it too, the number of rows that you had that peaked up in the in the uh, earlier slide that showed was like nine point two six or whatever it was,
1: yep. and mm-hmm.
0: you know basically dropped down, you know, two rows. There's not nearly the number of. 16 row corn heads um, 24 row corn heads um, those kind of things there's still a lot of, there's still a lot of 12s and 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 eights and those kind of things that are out there floating around but that that overall number of of large corn heads is just it's not there and but it also shows you that the average price of the smaller heads have gone have come up quite a bit to oh. maintain where you're at you've only dropped 300 bucks in a year right i mean so in, in the number the size of heads has come down too It shows you you the scarcity of the market.
2: Uh, That's keeping that price inflated, you know. Yeah. I was talking to a Canadian dealer, and he was mentioning the fact that they, you know, they couldn't find larger, he was talking about platform heads. Mm. He was looking all over for a larger platform head, and all of his customers were, couldn't find it. Yeah. Uh, And so it could also be some of the same issue where that's all, that's the demand, but it's not out there. Right. Those people aren't selling. Yep. And I was thinking to have a million-dollar machine and not a head to, to put on it too. So I'm sure that's going through the minds. Um, and for those that are watching this too, I you know I just wanted to talk about are these all these heads moving in the same direction? Uh, and this is again just looking at some select subset of John Deere headers that are sold in Q1 and Q2 this year. But for some of the larger 12 heads, you know they're up 14%, 19%, 30% on uh, some of these. Now, one model, this 612C, uh, is down 7%, but in case you correct me if I'm wrong, that model is not made anymore, so that model in general is, is just aging. And so, um, that's essentially the depreciation of a year of use uh, is pulling that one down.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, I would say
2: I would, I, would, I would agree with what you got there. Yeah, look, yeah, that was kind yeah. of the outlier. And, and the, I mean, the fact that it was sold in 2019 just means it's a little bit older, and right. you know, people want newer. Yep. Um, so it's not that these things don't depreciate. they are depreciating somewhat.
0: Yeah, it's, it's not. not a, a it's not a ton. It's not rapid. It's not as rapid as a machine with
2: hours. You know what I mean? Right. And uh, okay, so now comes a question, and this again is maybe asking you to to uh, make a little assumption or read into the tea leaves a bit. But uh, I looked into trending platform values. uh, Specifically, I've got on iron caps pulled up, and I can switch to that here in a second, of John Deere's uh, 640 uh, flex draper head uh, and what we're seeing for prices with that. Again, they look like they're at a premium, but not a machine uh, piece of equipment. And so from your standpoint, Casey, have you seen the same percent increase on these? that you've seen on other types of equipment? I mean, are, they're not up 30% year-over-year, year, are they? Or, or what have you seen on?
0: No, equipment? I mean, you still have a lot of augered heads that, that people are are, are looking for. Um, but mm-hmm. there's there's a definitely a, a developing trend headed towards the the draper head, whether it's flex draper or rigid draper or whatever else. Really, there's a lot more emphasis on the, the flex draper than there is on the rigid draper, and I think it's just the versatility that we're looking at. If you're just a strictly just a wheat guy, and you're just cutting wheat, and that's all you're doing, <clears throat> you know, uh, uh, something where, where you're not on the ground trying to get every last last morsel of it, um, the flux draper might not be the trend line, but the pattern that I'm seeing develop in, in the farm equipment economy is that now it used to be you had you know three different tractors doing three different things, and you know you had a tillage tractor, you had a plane tractor, you had a you know whatever chore tractor, whatever you had these different tractors doing these different things. Um, now you kind of see like the 9R, like the, the the bigger, higher horsepower four-wheel drive tractors evolve into more of a their tillage tractor. They're also a planting tractor. They're also a grain cart tractor, right? So you've yeah. got that versatility across that platform, right? Because and and the reason for that is, I mean, mm-hmm. hell, the price of equipment by itself, it's kind of hard to justify having you know a four, five, or six hundred thousand dollar piece of equipment just to do one thing, unless right. it's like a combine or a chop or something like that. So that's a defined piece of equipment for a specific thing. But if it's just kind of a kind of a do all, then you're going to make it do all, right? So and I think that's what you're seeing with some of these flex these flex drapers that you can lock those into a rigid mode and have the same functionality that you would with just a regular rigid draper but you also can do other crops with it at the same time and i think you're starting to see that happen more the deliverability of draper belts are to the center and the the efficiency that you're seeing there seems to be catching on a lot more than, than what we've seen in the past um, especially when you're looking at the soybean market i mean Right. I mean that's that's where the biggest bulk of these flex drapers are going are to cut beans, you know. So I mean, I think looking at that, getting that feel for what that draper head can do, I think there's just a, a more of a developing trend there, and it's going to become more widely accepted than it was say five years ago. Mm-hmm.
2: Right, and, and on that standpoint too, I remember me and my father-in-law who were also farms used are having an argument of whether or not it pays for itself uh because flex drapers aren't cheap, uh, right? Cheaper, you know, but uh, saying oh it saves like half a bushel an acre or something but when it was (laughs) you know when a bushel didn't cost that much for beans uh i was winning that argument Um, right right (laughs) it's a different case right now right yeah right that you know beans keep up this trend uh it's gonna be easier for farmers to justify uh having this draper let's get back and and we just chatted about this too but i wanted to bring it up because and i'm asked with this, uh, all the time on the, the header sizes like we said you know, there doesn't seem to be as enough of these larger headers out in the market uh, are as John Deere or maybe some of the other OEMs are they going to stop making smaller headers and are they eventually all going to ship to a Draper market or a Draper header on the market as well
0: mm-hmm. that's a good question I mean as the draper head is a direct correlation to the size of the machine that it's feeding right so um and you could put a you could put a 40 foot flex draper on a class six head and you'd have to fix a a bunch of different stuff on the front of it so i could lift it up and handle it but i mean in theory you could do that and you'd have to go you know a mile an hour or two miles an hour to make it work so it's not efficient right Mm -hmm. but if you put a a thirty-foot head on the front of a of an X nine again, that's not efficient either because you can't go fast enough to keep it full, right? So right. the idea of of kind of growing that and right fitting that that thing. When I first started in this business in two thousand six, having a twenty-five foot or a, a, a thirty-foot flex draper, <clears throat> Macdon flex head draper, maybe even a a thirty-five foot. That was a that was kind of a that was kind of your sweet spot. That thirty-foot head was kind of your sweet spot. Yep. Now that forty foot head is kind of your sweet spot. You know, so you know, you get out to fifty foot now, you got some, you know, king or king bees. honeybees that are, you know, fifty five foot. You know, you got some fifty foot heads, you've got these different heads out there that are just they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger because they have you have a bigger machine to feed to keep keep things going. So it'll be interesting to see. What what mm-hmm. happens? You know, I mean, this is the last year for the John Deere John Deere plow, right? They don't they're going to make one again after this year, right? So right. now I you can probably say that. I don't know that that's been a very dominating market for, for that long. You know, right. for, it's been a while since you know mobile plow was a was a was a big seller, but obviously it was enough to keep it going this long, right? So mm-hmm. I think you'll see the same thing with a with a twenty five to thirty foot head type thing until you get to autonomous combines and that's a whole nother conversation but as things become smaller and and you can one person can do more with with multiple machines then then i think you'll start seeing the the rebirth of the um the smaller implement smaller combine head, those kind of things come into play
2: yeah and that was going to be my follow-up question because i Mm -hmm. again that's something i wonder it's something i get asked whether it's with automation or whatever else that if there will be either a resurgence for the big OEMs to make some of those smaller items again, or if it'll be an opening in the market for a new player uh, or maybe an international player to come in. Not, yeah. not international stuff, but, you know, Fent or somebody else to come in with a mm-hmm. new piece of equipment and fill that niche. Yeah, it's and that's,
0: there's there's two camps to that autonomous thing, right? There's the everything gets smaller when you don't have to drive it anymore, and then there's a the, why would it get smaller if you don't have to drive it? You can just control more larger machines out in the field and so I, it just it's it's such a, a back and forth thing i definitely think it's going to get smaller um, not for sure how small that is but uh, to me i think you'll have smaller more multiple machines working in the same field type of thing so
2: yeah and i'd certainly i'd love to be in on those strategy discussions that uh some yeah. of these oems are having yeah looking at the future of Uh okay so again talking about tea leaves a ball crystal ball what have you um uh, one of the things that you know if some of your listeners aren't doing this yet i started doing this at the uh suggestion of some of our developers on our team that uh, they go into trackers and they use this favorite option within trackers and i'll show you here in a second but i'll go pinpoint certain auctions that i think are uh significant in the market maybe they're going to draw a lot of attention and uh, they might have some certain pieces of equipment uh, that are key. And I'll go in there and I'll favorite them. Uh, if it has a price prediction thing on trackers I'll try to predict the price. But I get an email alert and it lets me know when the auction's coming up, the day of, if I want to bid. Uh, but then it, once it closes, it'll tell me, hey, my piece sold and uh, what it sold for. And that's just a great reminder, because I can't ever remember to go back and check all these all the time. But it tells me, you know, this piece sold, you were interested in it, here's what it sold for. And then I pull up iron tops and then I just do a quick check. You know, is that trending up? Is it trending down? Is it what I expected? Uh, but it's a good, you know, data point on, is this market still moving up as it's significant or not? So the Wheeler auction was one that just happened about a week ago uh, where it had a ton of great combines on it. And uh, I'll show you some of the data on that in a second, but I really quick wanted to show on tractor Zoom you can go in here and I had this actually was actually talking to my dad uh, about a combine he does a 9870 if you ever wanted to buy a replacement what that's going to cost for a second one uh, but you can go in here and if any of these are coming up for auction none of them were so actually created a search but I'm going to clear this out a little um, but here's a 9770 uh, you know we we're just talking about uh, platform heads, it's on, it? this one right here. Sullivan auctions got a few really good auctions coming up. But I favored that one. Now I'm going to get an email alert letting me know when it comes up for sale and what it actually sold for. Uh, so you can go in there and, uh, and go through that. Piece. on price prediction. And again, when we were talking about social media uh, procrastination earlier, this price prediction is another uh, thing I spend probably too much time on. But again, I mentioned the Sullivan's got some good auctions coming up. Here's an S780, quite a few 780s. You can go and see the details on it. But through the algorithm, the, the tracking zoom based on all past purchases, similar make models, uh, it thinks it's going to sell for about a little less than four and a quarter. I'm still bullish on this market. I think it's going to go higher. It'll let me know if I was right or wrong. Uh, and this may go on that one a little bit or turn down. So uh, also something I do to just track the market for certain makes and models. Now, back to that Wheeler auction. And this is one of the final points I want to hit on. Uh, that was one I was following. Went through favor it. I pulled... And exported from iron comps everything that sold on that auction. And this is again by price on the left-hand side, set hours across the bottom, just to see where those prices are falling. And on average, you know, it's certainly not a straight line, but it was about $120 per SEP hour. Uh so I use that as a part of the gauge to figure out this is depreciating on what I would expect it to be. But Similar to the graph that I showed you earlier, I also wanted to put this in perspective with other combines that have sold within the past two years. And especially for low hours, each one of these all a segment of an hour category, either at the top or right near the top for less than $500. Hours. Once you get a little bit older, you, you kind of fall more into the masses. Mm-hmm. But, but again, just another good indication that this is... This is still on the up and up. Yep. So uh, this last plug in there for anybody that wants to do what I just did uh, tomorrow, actually. Tomorrow's 9th, right? That is right. But, uh, yeah. So these two auctions are going on. That Sullivan one that I just was mentioning. Uh, and then there's one up in Minnesota, too, uh, that's got some, uh, some good pieces of uh, equipment that's selling. And so I happen to favorite some of those. And I just usually pick out one or two a week on track to Zoom. It's, you know, it's free for anybody to sign up if they get to uh, engage the market a little bit like that. Right on. So the, the last one, Casey, and I didn't prep this one uh, for you ahead of time, so I am completely uh, you know trying to catch you out of left field here. But this question was actually asked of me, uh, of someone else earlier today. The fact that we are, quote-unquote, maybe in a recession, two queues with um, lower uh, GDP, Mm -hmm. but yet unemployment's incredibly low, and people still are not slowing down the spending. So, what? I mean, higher interest rates on the horizon. I didn't know from a dealer's perspective. How do you think this is going to affect new equipment sales and used equipment demand?
0: Um, You know, it kind of... As interest rates have shot up, um, we sh- we haven't seen any real um, decline in demand, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, for the most part, <coughs> I think for the most part, we're still seeing um, no one. No one said, "Hey, I'm not going to buy this because interest rates are you know whatever six percent or whatever." I haven't yep. seen that yet. Um, is that going to happen? Sure, it will. It's going to happen somewhere down the line. Um, but I don't. I don't know. It's hard to say. You know, it's hard to say what'll happen. I, I think. I mean, obviously, commodity prices are going to play into that, and interest rates play into that too. But I also think if commodity prices stay, you know, stay up, and we see some uh, interest rates kind of stay up with it, um, then then maybe it won't have an effect that we're seeing there. But I think at the end of the day. Um, we will see some pressure from higher interest rates, and that, that's going to play a bigger demand. I mean, you start looking at someone that's got you know two or three million dollars worth of equipment, which is you know that's an average farm. You know, if you look at trucks, trailers, machines, everything else they got in there, and you're you were paying three percent, now you're paying six percent, um, or in some cases you're paying two percent, now you're paying three or six percent. Um, that's a big number. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you, you've, you've, uh, tripled or quadrupled the amount of interest that you pay in a year. That's, that's going to have an effect on what people do and don't do. And is that, does that happen in 23? Does that happen in 24? I, who knows, but what? we are, I, I suspect to see some interest rates. That are gonna, they're going to have, they're definitely going to have an effect sometime. I don't know how, of what magnitude that is because historically we're still at all time low. Um, not all time low, but historically low interest rates comparatively to what we see around us. So
2: in the past. Right. Yeah, yeah, I was talking to uh my dad and a couple of other old through the eighties and they were yep. telling me about their interest rates. Since we're not near there, we're not gonna hopefully get to that uh, so it's in perspective it's it's still very manageable. But uh I was curious but, to know how this is gonna change the behavior.
0: Yeah, and I think the difference between the eighties and, and now is that, you know, Eighteen percent interest on a forty thousand dollar tractor versus six percent interest on a five hundred thousand dollar tractor. Um, you know, there's definitely some issues. Now, operating costs, those kind of things, I get that. There's not eighteen percent interest and fifteen percent interest on operating notes yet, but um, and, and it, you know, hope it did not get there. But there's still a you know, if you pay. 6% on a $500,000 machine. What's that? Is that what? 30,000 bucks a year that you're paying in interest. Yeah. I and mean, you're almost paying a year's worth of interest what you paid for the tractor when it was new. So, I mean, it's, hmm. there's some, I mean, there's some, there's some things there that I think are worth taking note of.
2: Right. So, yeah. It'll be interesting. And yep. again, the people I've talked to outside of farming, um, I talked to them about, um, about this scenario. They're not sure what's going to happen, but a lot of them just indicate they think their interest rates are going to become more aggressively increased. You know, sure. Whether it's three quarters of a point next time around or, yep. or what have you, they think that's not necessarily slowing down. Nope. Not you know, and they've made that pretty clear that they're not going to right. slow anything down. So. All right. So, anyways, those are all the kind of questions I had. I sorry for grilling you on that last one without any prep, but uh, that's all right. But I did want to thank you know, thank you, uh, thank everything that you do at uh, Moving Iron thank all of our dealer listing partners. Uh, they help you know, give us feedback to make the product better, uh, but also listing uh, things on track to zoom, feeds the data a little bit so everybody can make better decisions. So we certainly can't do what we do without them. Yep. Uh, so yeah, just really appreciative of everything you're doing and everything they're helping us with. Uh, you know, we, we enjoy uh, working with y'all.
0: No, I mean, I I really think what you guys have is something special here, and I think it's different than what we've seen in in a lot of different aspects of that. So, hats off to what you guys are doing over there, Andy. So, if folks want to reach out to you, Andy, and get more information about what you're doing, there's the uh, for those that are watching this, there's the stuff down here in the lower right hand corner. But for those that are listening, Andy, what's the best way to do that?
2: Yeah, so email me is the best way at a Campbell at trackazoom.com. Uh, you know, they can email me anytime and open up a conversation and. Whether we can help them with data, with uh, you know access and iron comps, uh, we work with you know, dealers, but we're also working, like I said, with lenders, financial institutions, anybody in the ag industry that's working to uh, make better decisions off the of data, uh, we're partnering with. So I uh, would love to hear from anybody and everybody that's um, got a question.
0: Right on. Okay, man. Well, Andy, I appreciate what you do, man, and uh, I uh, look forward to seeing you guys in Nashville.
2: Yeah, yeah, we're definitely looking forward to it. It's going to be a good time.
0: Right on. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you can find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast. You can also go to LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast, and also check out the video version of this over on the Moving Iron YouTube channel. So check that out. Uh, moving iron podcast youtube channels check that out um, also go to the website moving iron for everything moving iron related and all the information for the upcoming moving iron summit in nashville tennessee if you're interested in getting in on that uh, time is of the essence here things are sl- starting to rapidly uh, close up here so if you're interested in doing that send me an email at moving iron podcast at moving iron com or in the upper right hand corner of the website click the moving iron summit page and information will get to me as well so i uh, got a good friend of mine, Alex Yuchenko, is coming back from Ukraine uh, to take a break, and then he's going to head back over there, I think, uh, here in a little while to continue his humanitarian efforts. If you're interested in helping Alex, go to, to the show notes, and there is a uh, GoFundMe page link that you can go to, or you can just go to GoFundMe.com and help uh, search Help Alex Transport Humanitarian Aid from Ukraine to, uh, I'm sorry, from, man, I totally messed that up. I have to go back and edit that out. Help Alex transport humanitarian aid from Poland to Ukraine, and uh, that will help out as well. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour with Andy Campbell. Let's go move some iron, folks. Out. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com.